Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Bureau Thrill Report. The Comic Bureau Thrill Report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That is why. On your favorite podcast platform, it reads, Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And, um, you know, I, I make fun of the network every intro, and I wonder, why do I keep doing this? Does anybody care? And then somebody who listens, <laughs> A, approached me in person, which I always think is crazy. Get away from me. Get away from me. Or you listen. I didn't. I just put these out. I don't pay attention to numbers. Sure. Um, And then they said, I wonder, I just started listening and I wondered why it was believed in the Comedy Real Food Report. And thank you for addressing that at top. And like, that is every single episode. So you're welcome. Look at that. But enough of that. And on to this week's amazing guest at a bright and early 8.51 in the morning. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah, uh, amazing New York uh, uh, staple uh, and in town, um, even though this is on Zoom. Uh, I love always seeing her wherever she's at. Chloe Radcliffe, everybody. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Are you, I'm assuming you're usually up around this time. Is this like, is this usually your time or is it? uh... So (laughs) I, okay. uh, As of like a year, maybe now, I guess like a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. I would say there is not a single fucking goddamn day that I am up around this time. (laughs) And I would (laughs) have really like pretty violently pushed back against the idea of waking up at, I set my alarm for 815 mm-hmm. and I woke up naturally at eight, just like got up, uh, turned the alarm off before. What, yeah, I would have like really violently rejected that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because about a year and a half ago, I was still exclusively stand up. That was really my sole priority, my sole focus. And so it meant that like my work days were I leave the house at five or six. And in New York, you're doing New York is like you're always doing two to six spots in a night and then you're hanging afterward. Mm-hmm. And so whereas and I and I, I know that that's that's different in L.A. And so in New York, it's like I leave the house at five or six. I come back at what, two in the morning, three in the morning right. and probably two in the morning. And then I'm like, get to bed by three. And mm-hmm. so then it's like if I sleep until noon. It, yeah, that's fine. It doesn't matter. My work day starts at 6 p.m. Right. Um and then within the last year, year and a half, I have really um, heavily expanded into screenwriting in a very fun, exciting way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, in a way that I'm really happy with. But it means that, like, I, I always, whenever people got hired and staffed in the writer's room and they were like, sorry, I can't go out, I can't do as much stand up because mm-hmm. I have this other job, I was always like, ugh fucking pussies like yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh yeah you can't you're you just were never you never really wanted stand-up in the whole in the first place (laughs) you're never you're not grinding stand-up look if i ever got a writing job i would still fucking grind stand-up every single night and now i'm i got a writing job and i was like no no it's hard oh boy and And, you realize you're being slightly toxic oh of course 100 yeah an asshole the thing is it's just like it is it's hard to do 
two jobs at once. And mm -hmm. it is much, and also I think that whenever you're doing stand up, I think you're already doing two jobs at once because stand up doesn't usually pay the bills until you are 15 years into it. And so you're already doing whatever you're doing for money. And then I guess when you get a job, then you're not doing whatever you, but I'm still doing whatever. It's just like when you have the more balls you add to keep up in the air, the harder it is. And yeah. that's not a, a new observation, but it, I'm, I, I like experienced it with, as I sold a project and got sapped on a project and got cast in a project this past year right where i'm like oh now i have to be awake during the daylight yeah and <laughs> i don't know whether i like that or not right <laughs> right here i am i sure you, am you thought you were a vampire but then you're not yeah what's funny is that i know we're really talking about my schedule here but hey I, god knows i need to talk about it somewhere and i don't have a therapist um, I, I think I, oh i'm sorry i think well this is what people listen in for for the inside track on comedy yeah 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 um i have known my entire life that i mm -hmm. actually am a morning person i prefer mm -hmm. i love to be up before the rest of the world is up. Like I love to be up at like 6.30 in the morning. I absolutely cannot get enough of it. I love it. It's so peaceful and wonderful and I it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I have had a job for seven years that makes me a vampire. And so I, I switched to being a vampire. Right. And so I've always known, I've always been aware of the fact that like I prefer to be up in the morning, but I also more than anything, I prefer to be sleeping and so <laughs> i just like yeah i would love to get up at 6 30 every morning if i could go to bed at 9 30 every night but i can't right. yeah. do that even right. now even when i've transitioned more to screenwriting i still am doing i'm doing by any normal standards a ton of stand-up i'm doing like slightly less stand-up than i was doing which makes me feel weird but by any normal standard, standards i'm still doing a ton and so i'm still out late all the time right, right. uh you're probably living a healthier life. I So I took the opposite. I grew up as a morning person. Mm -hmm. And then when comedy came around, I became a night owl, vampire, whatever. But I didn't give up the early bird thing. And I just don't sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. Like even for this, like this wasn't like a problem. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get up earlier. In fact, I think there's something in my head where I'm like, Oh, I know I have to do something like immediately in the morning where it like my body sets its own like in, like anxiety induced alarm <laughs> where like today. So like I got to bed last night at 1.30 and I was just up at five. No. Yeah. That's... Without without an alarm. And I'm like, All that's right. bad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, I could do work right now or I should be a little bit more alert for this podcast. So I'll like lie down. Wow. That's not enough time. Yeah. That's not enough sleep. That's too much. That anxiety alarm is going off too early. That's... <laughs> yeah. That's not what yeah. I want. Yeah. There's no, yeah. It's not like a thing on my phone or whatever, but I, I mean, that's, how I've just Although what adjusted. A, what an app title, the anxiety alarm. And then it's just on your phone. <laughs> it, goes off, it just goes off randomly. And it mm -hmm. and the, the screen just says, isn't there something you should be doing? <laughs> wow. I think this is going to be a bit in season seven of Big Mouth. Yes. The spookiest app possible. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what, so what time, what's your schedule like nowadays? Um, now it's, it's, I mean, it, like, it depends on 
where I'm at with what project. So I, I, um, like I sold a feature script and, or I sold a feature pitch and then, and they, and so I wrote the first draft and then they were moving forward with a second draft. And, um, if I, uh, like it, right now I'm in sort of a lull cause I'm waiting to hear back from some, from someone. And so if I'm not in that lull, then like, then my schedule is like, all right, get up at eight 30 and be writing by nine. Right. Um, don't you but love if, those lulls, Chloe? But if Just... I'm in a lull, buddy, I don't have, you don't usually have to be on a zoom at eight 45, but right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what, happy to be. Uh, what go like for those who don't know, because sometimes I feel like the idea of screenwriting, yeah, especially screenwriting like a feature, seems so nebulous and like you know, um, undefined. Why? Why is there so much work that goes into it? What is that? <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I think the there's two answers. Mm -hmm. uh, in, also, I'm like the babyest screenwriter. So, yeah. you know, for anybody curious about the answer to this question, listen to my answer and then also ask someone else. But yeah, listen um, to script notes or whatever it is. Yeah, listen to script notes. Um, but uh, there's two answers. One of what goes into screenwriting is um, making yourself do work that you do not have to do. But that you absolutely you like need to do on a on a cosmic scale for your career or on a cosmic scale for yourself and on a global scale for your career. But you do not have to do it that day. You do not have to do it uh, like, <clears throat> you know, if somebody's trying to sell a spec script, mm -hmm. which is mostly the currency of Hollywood, as I understand it, mm -hmm. um, you don't have to wake up in the morning and write a spec script. Nobody nothing changes if you do not work that day. Absolutely nothing changes. But if you do that enough days, then in a year, you still don't have a spec script, which is still fine. Like in a year, <laughs> your life still has not changed for the worse, but it hasn't changed for the better. That's the problem is that it's like very hard to motivate yourself against this nebulous possibility that you might be able to change your life for the better. Right. When there is no, okay, I think, a, I think a, a, an undefined carrot is much more difficult to work against than a defined stick right um so th that is part of what all the work goes into it and then the other answer is when you are on a project then you have this mm, i guess it's half carrot half stick i don't know you then you just have somebody's giving you a check and a deadline and mm -hmm. so then you're like well i guess now i have to get this work done and um is that easier it feels like there's like for, yeah fight. i think so yeah. yeah yeah i think i think i think universally yes easier did so i think I, I i think i remember reading somewhere or hearing somewhere that the script of alien mm -hmm. the screenwriter i think he sold it as a pitch and then was contracted to write the script for alien in four weeks in one month right. and that was his contract and that he turned in the script and that was how and that made me be like oh yeah we can do it yeah <laughs> like, you know what bobcat yeah, goldthwaite does no, so what does he do? He locks himself in a Motel 6 and orders the worst pizza he could possibly Jesus order. Christ. And he gets his scripts done in two weeks because the thinking is, this is such a horrid setting. I want to get Christ. I want to get out of this. I mean, and... that's a crazy person way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a that's unhinged. <laughs> it totally unhinged. 
But yeah, I it do, gave us I world's greatest like, dad. So yeah, yeah, it did give us world's greatest dad. I um, I tell my friends I'm not going to talk to them. I'm like, don't contact me for X number of weeks or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a cra- that's a crazy person way of doing it. Yeah, I think honestly, the- not that crazy people way of doing things can't work. Right. Yeah, I mean, I that's where you have to sort of judge for yourself. I mean, people, I mean, there's a whole cottage industry of writers retreats and just like, oh, you know, let's go to a, you know, serene setting and I'll just like get in the mood and it feels like most of the work is getting in the mood and not in trying to actually hit your keys on your keyboard. Yeah, I do think that there's, I think that like, I, I don't know. I'm a person who I, I need a routine to some extent, but I, mm. I think that the, I think that the, like, I can only write with, right. I can only write with the right setting. I can only write with my lucky coffee cup. I can only write with um, the specific pen. I can only write with like in this coffee shop if they're not playing Drake or whatever mm. the fuck. Right. And I think that, I think that it's very easy for us to get wrapped into those kind of, excuse like fundamentally those are excuses fundamentally those are we are just having a reason to not do the thing that we're scared of doing because the reason we're scared of doing it is what if we fail and then we it is revealed that we are bad and we have been bad all along um that is of course what we are avoiding and so if i don't have my lucky coffee cup then i can't answer the question of maybe i'm bad and have been bad all along um and i i know that and i know that about myself and so i that kind of stuff i try to be good with myself about being like hey don't get attached to a pen you fucking dipshit right Anyway, I talk to myself very meanly, but fun. <laughs> no, I mean, I, t- I talk it like that, where I'm like, yeah, you fucking idiot, you stupid right. bitch. And I'm laughing. Did, did you feel triggered if you, wait, have you seen Physical? Mm-mm. There is a very mean inner voice, uh, that VO for- um, Fun, I should yeah. watch it then. Wow, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think the opening scene is like, she pulls up to some like burger joint in a drive-thru and she's like, yeah, you eat that fucking cheeseburger, you piece of shit. I'm literally writing this down um, uh, on my list of things to watch. <laughs> cool. Glad to be of service. Okay. Um, how, I, like with this, well, one, what? please tell me about this project if you can. Uh, this is so exciting. The I can't say anything more about the feature, so that okay. is. <laughs> that we means off of I can say. that means it's really cool, and there's a lot of money involved. Uh, mm, maybe it it means that it is real enough. Right. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything more. It 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 doesn't mean that the, it, it's ever going to get made, but it means right. that like, what's going on is enough of a like. Oh, mm-hmm. that's neat. Yeah. Right. That I don't want to risk anything. <laughs> that's, sure. That's it. That's the would, only, that's what to read from it. Would you describe this as this, like a early or like a lower level, like ring in development hell, as they call it in the industry? Somebody, my lawyer was like, you're in development hell. And I was like, yeah. okay, cool. Mazel yeah. tov. I'm in development hell. I made it. Yeah. That is one of the things that, the, my least favorite things about all of entertainment is just the period of waiting because certain people have to pass things up along the chain just for some a-hole to say yes or no. Right. When I'd rather right. just tell me no immediately so I can move on. Yeah. I was I was just talking to somebody recently about, and they were like, we got six yeses and then the seventh was a no. And I was like, man, that is a fucking bummer to like, to actually go up the chain 
and get a yes, 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 yes. And I don't think that's like they could have said no at the beginning. I think that was like the first six people thought it was cool. And the seventh yeah. person was like dead. Yeah. But that, that, that was the one that mattered. That was the one that mattered. Uh, well, I think everyone matters. You know, it's like mm -hmm. I have a friend auditioning for Survivor right now. And he's, <laughs> he's gotten very far in the process and we're so excited for him. And we're like, be on Survivor, be on Survivor. Right. And um, and he was like, at eight, every stage they wash 70 people out. And right. so he just keeps making it through. Anyway, that's not has nothing to do with. But but it's like, yeah, you no. Know, Every, 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 no, every no could be a yes or, you know, like, right, right. Every, every, every answer is the next one that matters the most. Right. And then if you make it through that gauntlet, then the next answer is the one that matters the next most. Right. And it, people try to put so much um, guesswork into like, you know, I mean, I, to bring it into comedy, like for SNL, people are like, you know, wait, is this Lauren going to put his beer can down during your audition or, or not? Like, or is I know. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I just, it's like, I, I somebody told me a lot, uh, a, a, a very good friend of mine, um, who you actually have met, I think, I think, you know, um, his name is Turner Barrowman. He is. Oh yeah, he was a, Turner, yeah. Yeah, he, he was a very, very funny stand-up <clears throat> in Minneapolis, one of my closest friends, and um, moved out here. He doesn't do stand-up anymore, but now he's a mm -hmm. development executive for Will Smith. And he told me a long time ago, long, long years, years back when we were both in Minneapolis, I was pitching. My reps were like, pitch a, a short TV show for Snapchat or something, whatever. And I was worried about whatever I was pitching. And Turner just said, you can't be precious about whatever you're pitching because the idea that you really want to go is never going to be the thing that goes. The thing that goes is always going to be the thing that you like threw out casually and you don't really give a shit about it. And even if the perfect situation happens and excuse me, the idea that you really care about is the thing that goes, then they're going to turn around and say, now give us more ideas, more different ideas. Mm -hmm. So you can't be precious about those ideas. And the mantra of like not being precious, I've tried to take with me, which is the like, try not to be precious about is Lauren going to put, does Lauren put his beer can down or not? You know, right. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. try to be as zen as possible, knowing right. that that is mostly impossible. Right. I think it's important to hold space for, <laughs> that which i i even have one more like i go with kill your darlings like be ready to kill your darlings but also i know that like bojack horseman did you know that uh um rafael bob waksberg his manager asked him as he was trying to like find a show to pitch or like get something to sell he was like all right so what do you what's the project that you <laughs> dream of that i mean you have that you just think won't ever be made that it's too crazy yeah and awesome. insane and he pitched bojack horseman and now that's like one of netflix's leading adult totally editors. and yeah. and it's like one of the best tv shows of our time yeah totally that's awesome yeah yeah so like hold hold both i guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah um you want to do some comedy news let's do some comedy news great I, we'll start off with this because I wonder if you have any actual, you know, personal connection to this. Uh, Chris Red is recovering after an attack out of the Comedy Cellar last week. Uh, 
and he says he's uh, fine and healing fast. Um, they still have un not identified a suspect. Uh, Chris Rudd was uh, attacked uh, quite violently outside of the comedy cellar. Yeah. And then the assailant ran away and uh, he was immediately rushed to the hospital and shows that he had planned for that weekend were immediately canceled. And uh, but we're glad that he's OK and we hope that he's uh, back on stage, especially uh, a special of his is coming out soon. Yeah. And and. A lot of people that nope, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris is awesome. He's he's so kind. He's so funny. Um, and. I don't um, he is friends with with a bunch of my friends. He and I are not super connected. Um, but it's just, it's, it's my take on it is just that, um, every time a comedian gets attacked uh, in the last, like in the last year, there's been a handful of them. People have rushed the right. stage, whatever. <clears throat> um, and it's not, and I'm not including the Will Smith slap in the, in this, in the, in the little. That's something else. That's, that's rich some, people no, shit. Yeah. That's rich people shit. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not this. Every time a comic gets attacked, I, my reaction is like, sure. Yeah. Like that's a, like, I, I hope that the person is fine. I hope that, you know, like, I hope that the comedian is okay. And, and like, you know, yeah, nobody should be getting attacked. Yes, yes, yes. But just like, I sort of, I'm like, yeah, but nobody like this was a crazy one-off thing that we don't need to be worried about. And that people, and people being like, they're attacking comedians because comedians are the truth tellers and the, and the society <laughs> is so, uh, you know, polarized that everybody's getting fucking whatever. That I'm like, no, we're making a mountain out of a molehill. Mm -hmm. And this is not a thing that we need to be worried about. And it's not even a thing that we need to be talking about beyond like, what a crazy freak accident. Like sometimes who got sucker punched? Who, somebody got sucker um, his name will come to me. He was in um, uh, some some celebrity, some small celebrity got sucker punched in New York, and mm -hmm. nobody was like everybody's sucker punching celebrities. Everybody was just like, "That's a crazy freak accident. I hope he's okay. What a scary thing!" And we moved on with the rest of our lives. And that is how I have been. Like, this is how we should treat comedians getting attacked. Right. And then the more of them that happen, I'm like. Christ, is this a thing that's happening now? Like, I'm like starting to reassess my own take on the situation. Sure. Anyway, that's my that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I I would say that comedians being attacked is actually like kind of a norm in a way, but like also, it's like occupational hazard. I mean, like I remember when I got into stand up, like I. I don't know. I wasn't even searching for this. I guess I was just watching a bunch of like heckler videos or whatever mm -hmm. on YouTube. And definitely I saw one of the first clips I saw was like a guy, a guitar comic on stage and somebody came and took the guitar and beat the comic with it. How long ago was this from? This is, this is probably like 20 years ago. Sure. Yeah. But I guess this is what I'm saying is like, yeah, of course. Also, I looked it up. It's, it was Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis oh, okay. got second. Oh, right, 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 right. And and again, what I'm saying is like, sure, 20 years, like, yeah, I'm not saying nobody's ever attacked a comedian right. on stage, but I just was like, it feels like it's happening much more frequently. Maybe it's just that it's being reported on more. Maybe that's maybe, what it, maybe we're like aware of it more. Right. But this feels different because it's outside of the club 
and sure. not on stage. And that yes. feels like USA Today called me twice. I mean, I was like, I was part of an op-ed, like they interviewed me for an op-ed that they were writing about like cancel culture and then like comedians getting attacked. Is this it's something we should worry about? And I kind of was saying what you were saying, um, as you know, but this, yeah, I, I, I hope they catch the guy and there's yeah. accountability, but I do wonder what, I mean, I want to say that it's just part of this, like, um, there's such anger and vitriol in the air with everybody um, that like everyone's so tense and it, it, it's not, it doesn't take a lot for a person who probably wouldn't do, have done something like that five years ago to do shit like this. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Cause I, I was at last night, uh, I, I wanted to go to your show, but uh, a friend of mine already got me tickets or they got, they invited me to this thing I said I would go to before I knew about your show. Sure. It was Michael Cohen doing his live podcast at the El Rey. Wait, Michael Cohen, like the... Yes. The, the Michael Cohen? The Michael Cohen. Apparently wow. he's had a podcast for years now called Mea Culpa Live. Wow. Yeah, get ready Crazy. for this. Yeah, he's basically like, I was a bad guy. I did hard time. Now I'm like just letting everything out. Wow. Yes. And he had guessed a guy who was formerly part of the Oath Keepers and he had left, which was very fascinating. Uh, you saw him, you saw him interview that guy live. Yeah. I Kathy, listen to this podcast. Ka yeah. Oh my God. Kathy Griffin and then uh, a former prosecutor friend of his. I mean, this does sound, this sounds like a 30 rock bit of like the guess who are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, some guy he used to work with, an ex-Nazi, and yeah. Kathy Griffin. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, sure, and, okay. and then Tracy Jordan. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, That was amazing, and I will, I'll tell you about it more another time, because we don't have time. But was, what was crazy is that, at, like, you know, the podcast was actually three hours, and it really sailed by, because it was very fascinating. Um, but there was when we, I left, I was just I, I was talking with my friend as she was waiting for her Uber, and this this guy, who, long gray hair, uh, very very frail looking, just like, with no uh, in, invitation, just started talking to us about how like, he, thinks, that they said such bullshit. And he had asked a question. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I I did not look at this guy or whatever. And he had asked a question about hearing back from a mutual friend between him and Michael Cohen, and about like the <laughs> vaccinations not working. Uh huh. And he and he like. And did they dodge the question? Yeah. Well, no. He's like, why haven't I heard back? And oh, oh, oh. I see. I see. Not not that he asked it during the live podcast. Right, right. And then he waited outside and he went into like, oh, I'm not a medical expert. I've been in jail for six years rather than Michael's two. He doesn't know what hell is. And I'm like, oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. And Crazy I people. Yeah. And yeah, he just wanted he was he literally tried to talk to anybody coming out of that show. Crazy people. I think it's in the air, you know, crazy people, crazy, crazy, crazy people. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully we'll find out 
Um, next news story. Did you watch this trailer? The no. Story? It's okay. Uh, so basically, because I- I wasn't is... sure whether we were going to watch it during the podcast. Fair. Well, it's not truly important other than the idea that a, they're revisiting a crystal story, which should be just an untouched classic. I mean, for years, for people who don't remember TBS, back when you didn't watch streaming. Very funny. Very, yes. TBS. Characters, characters welcome. Funny. Characters welcome. Wow. <laughs> just to think, there were, there were weeks in a conference room where people are like, characters welcome? How do we feel? No, the, I think better than that is there were weeks in a conference room where someone was like, should we just say it's very funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're should like, we... no, we could do better. And then after an, another few weeks, they're like, I get, I get, I guess. Yeah, we're like, okay, what are we? What do we want to say we are? Uh, funny, I guess. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, and, and I'm sure somebody at UCB tried to make a sketch about it and it felt too inside. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, they the idea that uh, oh well, TBS they used to on Christmas Eve run a Christmas story on repeat for twenty four hours. That's how <laughs> iconic this movie is. Um, but yeah, they they're I am just getting more and more infuriated from IP being the only source of things that we get to oh, see. Totally. Yeah. Um. This is not a Christmas story related, but I, I completely agree that it's just like, it's so, fr it's so frustrating to just be like, ah, yes, here is a brand that we understand. Here is a, like, mm -hmm. here is a title that we are familiar with. And it goes so, this is how deep it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> This is not, this is actually not surprising at all, but it was like, oh, come on. Um, SNL this weekend mm -hmm. did David S. Pumpkins again. Yeah, with the same beats. With the same beats. And I was like, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And like, I I understand. I, I never, look, I wrote on a late night show and I know, I wrote on an NBC late night show. And so I know that like the people in the room are all, they're very smart. They're very funny. They're very, very talented. They see the same things that we see. And that like somewhere through the churn, it turns into a thing where we're like, why was it that? And they're like, we can explain why, but you, but you can't, like, we can't tell you. So you just see the thing, you know, like, but the thing we saw was the same beats and this, and I was excited for the end because I was like, I understand that you're doing the same beats. I understand that it's fun. I understand that it's this old character that we love, but like, there's going to be a different ending. And that's what I'm like, excited to see what the creative different ending you put on it was. And it's the same exact ending. Yes. And I was like, oh, buddies, this is crazy. Anyway, yeah. that's yeah. that. No, I mean, if they wanted to keep it topical, they should have had Chloe dress up as Nicole Kidman or something and show up. Yeah, I don't, yeah, who fucking knows? Anyway, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I too am tired of, like, right. familiars yeah. being res resuscitated. Yeah, I mean, basically, the trailer reveals that, like, Ralphie has grown up and now he has to, like, in memory of his dad, he has to, like, throw a Christmas, like, in the original movie, but now he's, like, grown up, and it, there's all this nostalgia. It, it, I mean, it's it's feeding on any, anybody and everybody's nostalgia for the movie and Christmas in general, which, I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm biased because I'm not a holidays person. I'm very grinchy around this time of year. Sure. 
Sure. Um, so this is not for me, but just like <sighs> the idea that the 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 impetus for the creative process is like, all right, Christmas story, new one, go. Rather than let's do something else. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, anything else, truly. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, look, you and me, you and me both. I do too you, wish that this was not the setup. <laughs> would you? Do you? Would you ever do a holiday holiday movie slash? Do you have one in mind? Um, I do not have one in mind, and um, every time somebody who's not really success like somebody who's not like not Judd Apatow level but like whatever the level right below Judd Apatow is sure. every time somebody who's not at that level is like yeah I just don't think I would do that I'm like bullshit you absolutely would if somebody walked over to you and was like hey can I write you a big check to write a thing that you think is stupid you're gonna be like uh-huh yeah Absolutely. Yes, you can. And then you'll bitch about it the whole time. And that's fine. That's part of the fun. Yeah. You gotta be like, I'm writing this thing that I hate, but I do it for the money. That's part of being a writer. Like that's part of the joy of like, of being the little grouchy, you know, hermit person right. that we are. Right. But of fucking course, when people are like, no, I'm just not interested. I'm like, fuck out of here. Right. Get the fuck away from me. Absolutely. I would, I would put almost good money that I don't have on the idea that, Everybody who's been hired by SNL over the last 20 years has talked mad shit about SNL until they got hired. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. And I, and I, yeah, and that, that sort of is like the, you know, the, the SNL uh, mantra, you know, that's the, I don't know. I, yeah. 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 But, uh, well, I hope, I hope you get to write one. <laughs> I hope I get to write some uh, shitty fucking piece of dog shit that I hate and that yeah. somebody pays me a lot of money for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you'll you'll have to uh, write. Let's. Uh, what's a holiday that hasn't been done because Gary Marshall has done so many of them, um, like Valentine's uh, Day. You know. What right. I mean? What about like Labor Day? Labor Day. Oh, I'll write a. I'll write a Labor Day movie. Oh wow! Yeah, is this like something to like energize the Democratic base for the twenty twenty four election? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be very pro union. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, no, that'd be great. Honestly, that would be the reason I would see it. It's like I don't care for rom coms these days, but it's pro union. If I, I mean, actually, like writing a pro union Labor Day themed rom com. I just not, frankly, fall in the category of shitty piece of dog shit that I don't want to write. That, I would say, falls in the category of exactly what I want to write. Like, <laughs> and it's a very, like, the, the union organizer and the, and the corporate stooge are, like, they fall in love. Oh, my God, I'm going to write this. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'm going to write a fucking Romeo and Juliet pro-union. What the fuck? Jake, this is amazing. I just came up with my next pitch. Yo, please run with it. Oh my God. Truly, truly, truly. Actually, that's very funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is. With just like, I think just a, a Susan. Also, I just congratulated myself. I was like, that's really funny, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Uh, a Susan of just winking of the whole time. Like, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Writing this down. I love this. Yeah, by all means. I, uh, this is, this is very exciting news. <laughs> you have your next project lined up it's i'm i i yeah yeah i've i've already got it set up um <laughs> at 
Warner. Yeah. No, but I really do. That's a, I, man. Who would I'm you not... want, who want, who would you have play the union organizer and who would be the corporate speech? I actually was thinking, you know, what's, this is actually crazy that I, um, the thought process that I was just in was, um, with, I'm going to write a straight love story. I'm straight. I'm not going to try and write a gay love story. Um, so, so I was like, okay, who would be the woman and who would be the man? Mm -hmm. And I think, so I think it would be that like, the the most traditional view of it would be that the man would be the corporate stooge and then the woman would be the union organizer. Mm -hmm. And then I think like in the last 25 years, mm -hmm. the cool, interesting thing to do would have been to flip those genders and be like, it's actually the man who's sensitive and the woman who's all business. And yeah. that's progressive gender roles because usually we don't think of ladies in business and right. we don't think of men as it, right? But that I think at this point, it's actually like the snake has sort of eaten its own tail and it's sort of come back around where it's like, well, now we're just making the men the heroes again by saying, look, they're sensitive and they're so good. And we're just yeah. still kind of being misogynistic by being like, and the woman's this uptight bitch. Right. And so I think I actually would make the woman the union organizer and the man the corporate stooge. And... um and maybe she thinks that she's convinced him at the, and then at the end he backstabs her. Ooh, I love this. Yeah. Um, I'm going to fucking write this. Um, anyway, so I don't have celebrities in mind, but that, but that's maybe a more salient answer to uh, the question you just asked. Right, right. Uh, and then, I don't know, Patty Harrison's in there somewhere. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good in any of the roles. Um, Patty, Patty Harrison plays roles on both sides, on both teams, but like on on the union side, on the organize the labor organizing side and on the corporate on the union busing side right, and, right. And, <laughs> yeah that's very and, and is just an extension from her iconic character on i think you should leave that mm -hmm, she just mm -hmm. is wealthy from a settlement and drinking wine <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely she's in there 100 <laughs> percent um I'm, I, it's it, fortuitous that you're, I, I didn't know that you're getting into screenwriting and there's all these, these amazing things that are happening. So I'm curious about your specific take. I don't know, have you seen Tar or Banshees of Inishirin? I have not seen either and I've heard, I actually really want to see both. Yeah, they're amazing. I won't spoil anything for you, but they're cool. very much, so they're marketed as dramas. Yes. Um, Although Martin McDonough is famously like, always made extremely dark comedies. So mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. The thing is, Manchester's the Insurance is very funny. Um, and Tar is a drama that has some of the funniest moments in a movie this year. However, I do think both are dramas. And I just am curious, like what qualifies as like drama, comedy, dramedy for you? To me, I think it is about the intent of the movie and mm -hmm. uh, assuming the movie achieves its intent. I don't, movies that don't achieve their intent, let's not even go there. But yeah. but assuming the movie achieves its intent is the intent to keep you laughing the whole way through and send you out of the theater laughing? Mm -hmm. Is the intent to make you think and feel the whole way through and send you out of the theater um, like moved? Right. Or is the intent, and and I, I think, I mean, I think the blurrier line is between drama and dramedy. Yeah. Like, 
you know, right? Like I, I know that, uh, what the fuck is the, wow, it would be better if I could remember this. Then <laughs> I'm trying to think of any war movie at all. Um, <laughs> but Dunkirk. Dunkirk is exactly the one that I was trying to remember. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's exactly, I was like, it starts with a D and I know it's in there. Yeah, Dunkirk is exactly, right? Like that's not, we're not questioning that. Sure. Um, I think that, but what you are describing sounds like maybe Banshees of Inisherin are is a dramedy, maybe, right? Like to me, it's like, I think dramas can use comedy to in, an incredibly effective length excuse me, because when you're using, when you're using comedy in a drama, usually you are, you are like relaxing people just to set up for a bigger punch. Right. And sure. in this case, the punch is pain, not laugh. Right. Um, but it's the same, like, it's the same misdirect. They're just using the genres of like experience comedy and then experience drama as the misdirect rather than in comedy. It's a smaller misdirect of like, right think I'm talking about this and then I'm actually talking about this right? right um and I think that in a dramedy then it's like probably the intention is to make you laugh for a little while yeah and then to make you think and feel and be moved and maybe it's not even maybe the whole intention is to make you think and feel and be moved and that it's they're just using comedy more than mm -hmm. they're using they're using comedy as that misdirect as that sort of genre misdirect right more frequently yeah I right. think that's the that's a blurrier line do you think that even matters? Because I mean, like, you know, I think you could, anybody who's in the biz could talk ad nauseum about what's comedy, what's drama and why that even matters. But, you know, there are certain awards that are getting rid of those sort of genre lines, or it used to be that like, oh, this is like for half hour and this is for hour. And with streaming now, half hour and hour kind of not meaning anything anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that like, I just think generally comedy, it's crazy. I think comedy is generally seen as easier and I think it is generally more difficult to, mm -hmm. to land. Oh, yeah. Um, like I think, I think drama is like a restaurant that's doing well in New York or LA where like, if you're doing well, you're probably pretty good, but mm -hmm. it's hard to get past the like, you're pretty good food level. It's hard to get to the like, holy shit, that's mind blowing. Right. Whereas comedy is like a little hole in the wall in a small city where it's like probably it's bad actually it's like right. the chances if you had to put money down it's probably not going to be amazing right. but when it is amazing you found this crazy secret hole in the wall that is the best thing you've ever experienced to me right. that's like comedy just tends to split a little bit more right. but that is just to me that's just an indication that it's that it is harder to land the plane in comedy right um it's, it's harder to make it feel satisfying, whereas yes. drama can feel satisfying at like a slightly lower gear. Right. And I do think that is connected with the, with the drama. There isn't any outward external response when you're watching a drama other than like maybe if it really resonates with you. you maybe you're crying. crying. Yeah. yeah. But you don't need to, to say you have enjoyed it. But for right. a comedy, it's like you better have laughed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Totally. There is a, there is a, there's a meter. Yeah. <laughs> there's like a very clear response. Sometimes I say in standup, if everybody, if I'm, if I'm with a really, you know how some audiences get are really smiley and like, mm -hmm. they're having a nice time. They're not yeah. they're They are going to walk away being like, that was a great show, but they are not laughing. Right. And they're just like enjoying their little, you know, yuck, yuck, yucks inside yeah. their head. Right. Sometimes I will just say out loud, I go, 
I'm not in this for the smiles. Mm-hmm. I do it for the noise. You need to make the noise. You know, <laughs> give, give me the noise. Yeah, that's great. And usually it actually does crack people open. Like usually people are like, oh yeah, I have to laugh out loud. I will do that now. Right, right. Yeah, it's weird that, I mean, I feel like crowds like that, they need to be given like permission or something. Yeah, which or, is well, like, I think they need to be sort of like banged around a little bit. They need to be like, hey, fuckers, right. fuckers. I'm going to assume that those people usually don't go to comedy a lot. And that I think there's just this weird dynamic sometimes where, I mean, even though comedy has been like stand-up specifically, has been an art form for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, yeah, it's relatively new art form in the grand pantheon of art. But uh, people still don't, like, even though they paid to see the show, they don't know that they're not supposed to talk. Mm-hmm. Unless t- spoken to, and then, mm-hmm. or you're at Gerard Carmichael's, whatever. Uh, or that, like, you're there to la- laugh. Like, right. You, yeah. Yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a one directional, I'm going to do my little dance, and you're going to enjoy it, and you have to tell me that you're enjoying it. That's the, right. That is the social contract that we are making right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was like, the, and the fact that you paid, you should be invested in having a good time. Yeah. 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 I think people, I think, I think walking into a comedy show, I think paying for a comedy ticket feels, unless it's a lot of money, feels a little bit like you're walking out of the floor of a casino where you're like, I've already lost this money. This money, I'm not getting, I'm not getting anything back. Like I am paying to walk onto the floor of the casino and then I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'm paying to walk into a comedy show. You know, like, I think it's like, I'm not, I'm not getting anything back for this. Right. right. It's usually the attitude. But all of that. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, there's probably a number where that shifts. Like the totally your, your like ticket. $50 is probably the number where it shifts to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it is like, now I should get something back. Yeah. And you're going to say, Oh, I was going to say all of that wrapping back to the comedy versus drama award stuff is that I think that because comedy is seen as easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worry that like blending them all into one category mm-hmm. is going to mean that comedy is just kind of passed up. Right. Which uh, I think that's not a, a new take. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that. I think there's a big systemic problem that I don't have the answer for, or I'd be making a lot more money. Um, it, <laughs> there, you know, I was going to ask, like, in that metaphor of, uh, you know, restaurants, where does like, like Wes Anderson fall or Ruben Usland, like these uh, uh, tours that like, or um, Armando Iannucci that like, oh, well, they're not the little hole in the wall. I, okay. I, uh, to me, it is the restaurant where <clears throat> they only serve one thing, and that one thing is amazing. When you first try it, you're like, holy fuck, this is incredible. I've never had anything like this. Right. And then when you go back, you're like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. was here already. Right, right, I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I don't That's know. That's maybe I... mostly about Wes Anderson. I yeah. do like it. Yeah. That's maybe more about him than anybody else in that list. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's like the restaurant. The restaurant that own, that is like we serve every possible flavor of mac and cheese, and the first time you're like, oh fuck yeah, and then the yeah. second time you're like, God, this is a lot of mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of mac and cheese. Uh, yeah, maybe for Ruben. Os- do you know who Ruben Oslin is? I know. I don't know his stuff. Uh, do you? Did you watch Force Majeure or? No, 
Um, although, and, or the recent, the, the Triangle Tar of Sadness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see, no, I haven't seen either, and I need to see both. They're amazing. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't level that critique against him. That's really what I'm saying is this is a, this is really, the mac and cheese thing is really about Wes Anderson. It's, <laughs> it's really about, really, I don't know, and I agree with that. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, it's yeah. not really about anything else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's weird. I don't know how to reconcile that of, like, that there's this, like, two Michelin star level comedy and then there's like um well this is a knockoff of McDonald's yeah 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 I yeah there's the I, I maybe maybe the, perhaps the, re, the reality is that my metaphor does not uh <laughs> fully hold <laughs> this this metaphor that I riffed at nine in the morning is not uh 100 water type is perhaps the takeaway. Uh, maybe this is a good time, uh, or as we're coming to a close here, to ask this. How Get me has, out of here. Get me out of here. <laughs> how has screenwriting affected you doing stand-up? Um, it has, it's, uh, really, this is actually, like, a perfect bookend to the conversation that we were having mm -hmm. earlier, which is just that, like, the schedule is tough. Um, because, like, when I am writing on a project, I want, I, like, I am a person who wants, needs to write all day. Mm -hmm. Uh and that never was true in stand-up but that is true in screenwriting where it's like i do want to start at 9 a.m and i do want to end at 8 p.m or whatever the fuck like however long it takes to get through whatever i need to do mm -hmm. and i would like to not have to i don't want a ticking clock at the end of the day where it's like well i know that i need to leave the house at six to get to this show and that means that i need to be getting dressed by 5 30 and that means that like i'm going to be thinking about it by 4 30 because at 4 30 i'm only going to have an hour left of the day and then i I'm pretty much just going to be distracted. I'm not going to get anything done. And if I, that means that like, if I make lunch at one mm -hmm. and I take a, I take a break for lunch until one forty-five. at one I'm already going to start calculating like, well, I only have three hours left. Mm -hmm. And like that gets in my, that fucks me up. And so I try to drop a bunch of stand-up shows while I'm really like deep in a project. Mm -hmm. And that has been a bummer and like a weird thing to negotiate because right. all of my friends are, are going deeper and harder and becoming much more successful in stand -up. and they're so funny and so deserving and i'm so happy for them and right. it's not even it's not like a jealousy or a competitive but it's just that like i was in this world where i compared myself where like i measured my progress against my peers and yeah. suddenly i have sort of stepped away from where my peers are right and i'm so happy for them and i'm happy where i am but i have no metric against which to measure progress so that's mostly how it's affected right, right. And I think that sometimes it's a tricky road to go down to because the, all, all of your friend's success is out of your control and they're on a different path than you. Right. Like I came to but that it's, point. But it took a while to be like, oh, they're on a different path than me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or I'm a different path than them. Yeah. I had to, I came to that point a few years ago because I started with like, Jake Weissman and Matt Ingebrigtsen yeah. and Dave Ross. Yeah. Even, I mean, Hassan Minhaj was like a few years before, but he was kind of a, a bit in our class. And like, you know, uh, they just took a different path. I didn't, I running yeah. the bureau doesn't allow me to focus on stand-up as hard as a lot of other people. Totally. Yeah. And of so, course, it's the same thing. It's like you have, you have a separate job that is related. That is, I think, I think the hardest thing is when you have another job in the entertainment industry, right. because if you, if your other job is like, copywriting or dog walking or uh i'm an accountant or whatever then mm -hmm. comedy is this escape stand-up is this escape where you're like that's what i want to go do that's what i'm supposed to be doing 
But when your other job is in the entertainment industry, you're, you're like, uh, where's the line? It's very, I right. think it's, I think that's harder and weirder. Do you have to shift gears like between like, you know, screenwriting brain and stand up brain, or is that not a thing? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the, 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 I'm just, I'm, I am lucky that I spent so many years in stand-up brain. So it's like, it's a very, you know, like I can do that gear shifting fairly, fairly with a, with a decent degree of agility, but um, no, a hundred percent have to shift. Yeah. Even though stand-ups are brought on to do punch up all the time. It's, it's a, it's a different skill set, but I, I want to believe that it's always better to sort of cross pollinate comedic skills. Cause the goal is that we're trying to make people laugh and there's more yes. than one way to do it. No, Jake, there's only one way to do it. Laugh, damn it, laugh. <laughs> Open with that I next just, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, laugh. Yeah. Oh, get, get it to me. I don't know if the audience would enjoy that. I would because I've watched too much comedy. Probably laugh. Yeah. It would work. Thank you so much for joining me uh, this morning. That is the first and probably only time that will ever be said on this podcast. Uh, thank yep. you so much. <laughs> Um, where Thank you can, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Where uh, can people find you online? And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Um, all of my socials are at Chloe Badcliffe. Uh, my name is Chloe Radcliffe, and it's like my last name, but bad. Yeah. Um, so that's like YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or yeah, Twitter, TikTok, all of that is Chloe Badcliffe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh i think that's pretty much uh all that i have to promote right now so are you, yeah are you doing uh, shows at new york follow Comedy me Festival? for the love of god um i'm not doing shows that i come back i i am in la for most of new york comedy festival so no i'm i'm not doing uh any new york comedy festival stuff all right cool uh well <laughs> yeah. go just follow here. yeah follow chloe if you're in la she'll probably be doing sets uh i'll be around yeah i have yeah. i have my sets posted on instagram yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Cool. So uh, I'm Jay Corey. I created the Comic Bureau. You can find the Comic Bureau at thecomicbureau.com, at the Comic Bureau across socials. You can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket, on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. Although I, I mean, is Twitter over? I don't know. I don't care. Um, there's so many great causes to support this time. So please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comic Bureau to run another 12 years. It just turned 12 uh, last week. Wow. Happy yeah. Birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, do you have anything to say as we sign off here? Nope. <laughs> ah, great. I have said it all. You other, said it honestly, all. Other than, other than my motto is now very funny. <laughs> I'm, taking, <laughs> I'm taking it from TBS. Oh boy. I hope you're like staring at a blinking cursor in, a, in, in just a quiet moment uh, throughout every day and being like, very funny. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Live comedy is still happening. Go, please watch and enjoy it. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.